Hello and welcome to Carbon Removal Newsroom. I am Ross Kenyon, Nori's lead strategist. We are a carbon removal marketplace. Today I have with us, well, something new, actually. We have Nori's head of product, Michael Leggett, here, and he's going to be interviewing Ramez Nam, who is an author, futurist, clean tech evangelist. I hope you don't mind me applying that to you <laughs> without asking Fryer, uh, and also Nori advisor. Um, we saw this great article that Mez had written on TechCrunch, and we wanted to talk about it in relation to the Green New Deal. So, Michael, take it away. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to, to talk about this. I feel like both the Green New Deal coming out and, and your article were two like really um, big moments in dealing with climate change. Um, and climate change is something that I've cared about for a long time. I was really excited to see something as massive a proposal as Green New Deal in scope. And then I thought there was a lot of like really a lot of wisdom in, in your article. And so those two kind of together were just a really interesting like a week. I think your, your article came out about a week after the Green New Deal. Something like that. Yeah, yeah it was a pretty compelling week. Yeah. So that was back in February. It's been a couple of months. Uh, and we've been... Um, some of the things you talked about in your article, you talked about investing in places that need investing. You really talked about how, you know, the biggest, you know, what are the biggest unsolved problems that people often, when they they think of climate change and the Green New Deal, they, they think about it through the lens of electricity generation uh, and transportation, and that these are not really our biggest problems. They're the ones that we're actually making the most progress on, which is why there's a lot written about them. You talked about uh, America's responsibility, especially in terms of past emissions, not just in ongoing emissions. You took a swing at defining what is an ideal climate policy uh, and, and said that it was one that makes meaningful impact, addresses problems that the market isn't addressing itself, is cost competitive, and is actually passable. And one of the ones I thought was especially interesting was you talked about kind of this snowball effect of government investment. You talked about how Germany invested really early in solar before it was at all really reasonable to do so, and how that uh, investment uh, was able to kind of get the technology to a place where industry could kind of take over and start to get it to where it was cost competitive and efficient and cheaper and, and get it to where it is today. And so that Germany deserves some of the credit for where solar is at today for that really early investment. What other kinds of investments, you know, uh, like that should we be trying to make through Green New Deal? Yeah. So just to, just to come back to that point. So the, the way I see it is this. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you ask someone what would it cost to tackle climate change, they'd give you some number. IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency, uh, came out with a report yesterday saying the cost to tackle climate change has dropped by $10 trillion. And it's dropped by $10 trillion, uh, still to $115 trillion, so it's still not like a fire <laughs> sale. Uh, but it's dropped that much because renewables, solar and wind and energy storage are now so much cheaper than they used to be. And so why did clean energy get so much cheaper? It got cheaper because in general, technology, as you scale it, gets cheaper. It's the learning rate, or we call rights law, which means that basically when you have a bigger market and you have more players doing it, they take some of the money they make, they reinvest it in research and development, they get more efficient, and they make this stuff cheaper. So now a solar panel per watt of power costs 300 times less today than it did in the 70s, right? Solar electricity has dropped in price by a factor of 10. And that happened because when Solar and wind were still entirely subsidy-dependent. Places like Germany did subsidize them and scaled them out. And so the impact, a lot of people are critical, uh, climate skeptics mostly, but others are critical of Germany and Europe's efforts on climate. So they got nothing for it, right? They like By 1995, solar was only 1% of world electricity. In Germany, it spent tens of billions of dollars 
subsidizing solar. So it didn't scale. But the big impact wasn't felt by Germany. It was felt by the entire world because solar got 10 times cheaper in that time frame. And so then if you connect that to this other phenomenon, which is that now in the US, in the US is the, the single country most responsible for emissions up till now. But the US is only 15% of world current emissions. So we take the Green New Deal and we say, oh, it's just about decarbonizing the US. That's not good enough. Because if you could shrink the US's emissions to zero, but you do nothing for the rest of the world, you've done nothing. So the way that it can have impact is to repeat what Germany did, which is to, to launch a Green New Deal that fundamentally drives down the cost of clean alternatives for everything that we do that causes carbon emissions, such that those new clean technologies are now the cheapest, best technologies and are just irresistible to every other country on earth to use for yeah. just the merit. Absolutely. And since, you know, that's been done or it's not a solved, it's not that, you know, energy generation and, you know, transportation is solved. But when you look at the other half of emissions largely coming out of agriculture, uh, land use practices um, and, you know, industry or manufacturing, um, are those areas we should be investing in? Yeah. So I think we have, to, we have to keep the pressure on electricity. Like on electricity and on transport, we've only just begun. We still have only, you know, 8% of the world's electricity is solar and wind and electric vehicles are still you know, so, so long ways to go. Yeah. But they're starting to win just on price. In India, this fiscal year, 93% of new electricity generation that's been deployed is solar. Wow. Right? Uh, now, they still have a giant amount of coal that they've built, and they're still building new coal. But that's basically just on price. It's winning. It's not doing that everywhere in the world yet. In the U.S. Southwest, it's happening, but not yet in the Midwest. Uh, in China, in the, the deep west, the deserts, it's gotten cheap enough, but we still have to bring it to the, the cities. So we shouldn't let up on solar or on electrification of transport. Uh, but we've almost got those technologies across the line where they just went on cost. We see and the light. We see the light. Yeah. And we can, if we keep up our policies, we should, you know, take the solar and wind tax credits that are expiring and extend them. We should take the EV tax credit that expires at a, or it steps down at 200,000 vehicles per manufacturer, which is nothing in a country that has 260 million cars. And we should extend that out. We should, it's awesome to see more and more states, like in Washington state where we are, we're probably going to pass a 100% clean electricity bill this summer, most likely. And more and more states have that ambition. Awesome. Let's keep on with that. And then if we do those things, solar, wind, and batteries will win, at least for 70, 80% of electricity. And electric cars now are, you know, we probably hit peak combustion engine car sales in 2017 or 2018. Oh, wow. Electric cars are taking up all the growth of that market. And it looks like they're already cheaper on a per mile basis. And they're just better. Anybody that's been in a Tesla oh, yeah. knows it's just better, right? I've got a VW e-Golf, which I love very dearly. Yeah, there you go. And and we're going to have electric semis pretty soon, yeah. electric delivery vans going through the roof. And just on cost, those are likely to win. It's hard to believe right now, but that looks like yeah. it. So we should keep on the pressure there. But then in these other sectors, we haven't really started to try, not in a big way. So 21% of global emissions is industry, which is like steel, cement, petrochemicals, manufacturing processes. And that's a lot of like direct burning of fossil fuels to create heat that we use in industry. Is yeah. that really what's causing yeah. most of that? Or we directly use coal to add carbon to iron to, to make steel. I'm guessing it's hard to make that heat with a solar panel. 
It's difficult. I mean, you can make it with electricity, ultimately. So yeah. anything, you can make heat of any temperature with electricity. It uses a lot of electricity. And so right now it's cheaper to do that by burning natural gas or coal in mm -hmm. most parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's also, there's a capital cost of changing the equipment from the old equipment yeah. to electrical equipment. So we need to really start to develop the technologies there or push them forward. Mm -hmm. And then the hardest one is agriculture and, and land use change, which is that agriculture and land use change, which is mostly deforestation, but also conversion of like peat moss to, mm -hmm. to, to grazing land, is 24% of global emissions in 2014, 2015, whenever that IPCC report came out. That's just one point short of electricity. Uh, it's bigger than all of transportation and twice as big as cars. And it's mostly driven by uh, livestock and the deforestation that we do to graze livestock or to grow crops to feed livestock or to grow biofuels, uh, which should also go away as we electrify stuff, at least for, for ground transport. So those are the sectors where, you know, what can the U.S., what can even individual states start to do to create a market for carbon-free cement in buildings, to create a market or a mandate for uh, low-carbon, you know, low-fossil fuel, low-emission steel mm -hmm. in the cars that are sold, that sort of thing. So that sounds awesome. I think I, I loved that kind of focus on where do we need to to make the investments that industry or the market isn't making itself. At the same time, it doesn't sound like a World War II size effort. Like when I think of World War II and I think of, you know, like just like our way of life, the whole entire country seemed to shut down, right? Like uh, we had the, the what's it, the women's baseball leagues replace the men's baseball leagues because the men were off fighting in, in war. And do we need to have, like, I guess, is there time to have such surgical investments? Like it seems like, yes, do that. And, or is, is that all we should be doing? Like, what is the role of government? How big should this be? And even another interesting tidbit is World War II cost, I looked this up, about $4.1 trillion in today's dollars. So should we be spending more or less? Or is that how is that the right way to even think about this? To think about it from a cost perspective? Wasn't Apollo was what, 200 million? Is that what you told 220, me? yeah, 220 billion. Oh, uh, was the entire, so putting a man on the moon is the other one that's often considered of like, you know, so these like clear milestones um, that we didn't, we said like, we've got to win the war. We've got to put a man on the moon. We weren't really thinking of like, eh, if it costs this much, maybe we'll do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the world spends about $300 billion on clean energy a year today. So that that's similar to an Apollo program every day or every year, every year uh, yeah. in deployment. But that's not, you know, the Apollo program, a lot of it was R&D. We, yeah. we don't spend nearly enough on R&D. You know, I don't think about it as should. The, you know, the should question is, when is the cost of an investment equal to the cost of, of damages? Basically, and we have room for that to be a, a lot, lot higher than it is. I think of it as what is politically feasible. And I, I think that... To a certain extent, we don't give enough credit to how effective some policies have been. Like mm -hmm. if you ask the average person that cares about climate change in the U.S. about U.S. climate policy, they'll say it's terrible. But you know why is solar so cheap? Because Germany actually sort of uh, rolled back its subsidies by you know the early 2010s, and so did Italy and Spain. Mm. And so it really became the U.S. became the biggest market in the world uh, for clean energy for a while until China overtook us. And that was when the U.S. became the largest market for clean energy. Clean energy was still not cheaper than fossil fuel energy in the mm. U.S. without mm -hmm. subsidies. But we had these federal tax breaks yeah. for solar and wind. 
We have 29 states that have renewable portfolio standards that say we have to deploy a certain amount of, of electricity as solar and wind by a certain date. Uh, and more and more of those are being lifted to 50%, 70%, 100% mm. plans like California's. And that has had way more impact than, than people realize because that scaling of the market brought down the cost. And that's why, like, why is it that India is deploying almost entirely solar now? It's not entirely because of Indian policies. It's because of those past policies of Germany, Spain, Italy, the US, China. I think of it as not like what number should we be spending. I'm thinking of it as like what's the stuff that we can get past yeah. that's going to like start the ball rolling downhill on some of these things that will then, you know, pick up steam over yeah. time. So let me pivot a little bit uh, since this is the carbon removal newsroom. You've been well trained, yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. How important is, like, when I read the, the Green New Deal and I read the FAQ um, as well, um, that was uh, pulled back, but I didn't see carbon rule really talked about, and I didn't really see much discussed in terms of, like, past emissions. How important is carbon removal to solving climate change, and how important is it to deal with past emissions? Yeah, well, I mean, the Green New Deal—I think it was in the actual uh, document, but I've been in the fact that was that was recalled. It talked about carbon removal only through uh, natural ecosystems, mm. through the stuff that Nori is doing—you know, enriching soils, agroforestry, uh, afforestation, that sort of stuff. That's what it talked about. I don't think we should rule out, you know, David Keith-style giant machines as a carbon out of the atmosphere too. But yeah. clearly, those are a lot. More expensive than carbon sequestration on fields or in, in forests mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. How important is it? I mean, it all depends. Like the IPCC puts out these illustrative scenarios that show different things. And the scenarios that show, you know, very little need for carbon removal show us hitting 50% you know, reduction in global carbon emissions by 2030 from 2010 mm -hmm. levels, and then hitting net zero by 2050 or 2060. And I will tell you that 50% reduction by 2030 is just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, If we took out all electricity in all cars, which we're not going to by 2030, yeah. that would be like minus 35%. And not even from 2010 levels, from today's levels. Yeah. And so we're just not on a path for that. So I think we will decarbonize electricity and ground transport, but it's going to be sort of a, the overnight success that took 20 years, 30 <laughs> or 40 years to build. And it's not going to happen by 2030. Yeah. So we are definitely, we're in the timeline where we didn't start quite fast enough. And on current path, if we want to stay below two degrees Celsius, there's almost no way to do it without carbon removal, unless you're also going to do like solar radiation management, which I think nobody wants to be forced right. to do. Right. So carbon removal becomes, becomes vital. Yeah, so carbon removal is an essential part of basically you you can't stop you're not able to um, stop emitting as much as you can so you you pull out you remove what you weren't able to not emit or avoid emitting. Well, I I think it is this. I think we'll we'll probably get to close to net zero emissions from the, at least the non agriculture parts of of human activity. It's just that we'll get there too late. And so we'll have a, an overshoot, if you will. We'll right. have too much carbon in the atmosphere. Well, you go to net negative for a while. Yeah. And so you have to go to net negative for a while to cancel it out. Yeah. That's awesome. So if you could tell the architects of the Green New Deal one thing uh, and one thing only, what do, you th what do you think you would tell them? I'd say it is all about driving down the cost of clean technology for the entire planet so that the other 85% of emissions in the rest of the world 
inexorably out of their own shallow self-interest, even if they don't care about climate change, switch these clean technologies. That's the way that we have the biggest lever on the world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks, Michael. Uh, this has been fantastic yeah. and helped to continue the conversation. Likewise. Happy to share the floor. Thank you so much for being here with us, Max. <laughs> thank you, Michael Leggett, for, for hosting. If you like the show, please rate and review it in iTunes. Uh, if you think this is an abuse of the form by going closer to 20 minutes, you can let me know at hello at nori.com. If you like them shorter, I'd like to hear from you as well. Uh, we only know what you like when you tell us. That's one of the shortcomings of podcasting and RSS feeds. But uh, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to speaking with you again.